This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelor, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. All right, Raw Beauty community, I am so beyond thrilled to welcome Stephanie Yaboa to the show today. She is somebody who I have been following for a long time, who just is this vibrant soul who oozes creativity (laughs) and joy and happiness, and she's such an advocate for women. She has been a massive part of the fat acceptance and body positivity community since 2014. So before this was even like on trend to be talking about it, you were walking the talk and doing the work and you have been featured in so many publications. You've been speaking all over the world, Oxford University, Africa Utopia, London College of Fashion, diversity panels. I mean, girl, you are busy right now. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. It is a bit intense. I'll say it is a bit intense, but it's all for the greater good, I think. So thank you. Yeah, it's been a a huge couple of years. (laughs) Thank you so much for all of the work that you're doing, because as you said, it is a lot. It's exhausting and tireless and sometimes feels like there's a teeny tiny bit of progress and then boom, the ball rolls back five steps. So how is 2020 Stephanie doing? Oh, 2020. Do you know what? Actually, 2020 stuff is okay considering I know that there is a lot going on in the world at the moment, just a lot. Loads of plans have had to be cancelled and, you know, all of us have been indoors for such a long period of time. But because I'm naturally quite introverted, I've actually found it okay being at home. I also moved home as well during the lockdown, which was very stressful. However, I feel really settled. I've been able to kind of transform my home into this nest and place for me to work I've also really used this period to take time out for myself and really concentrate on my mental health because when things started to kick off for me, it was all go, 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 go. And I hadn't really had time to process or think about me as a person, as opposed to me, the brand or brand. I don't know if I'd call myself a brand. Oh, God. Yes, you are, Stephanie. You 100% are. Yes. Yes. Oh, God. And it's fabulous. Oh, thank you. (laughs) And so it's been nice to kind of just calm down, stop, think. I've started journaling. I've started working out again, which has been amazing. And yeah, it's just been a time for reflection and really concentrating on the things that are important to me just spending more time where I can anyway with family and friends and speaking more over the phone and yeah, just trying to really concentrate and do some self-care. All of those fundamentals of wellness that so easily get lost when we get into the busy, busy of life, often very exciting things. But I think for a lot of people, it felt so intense at the beginning and now we've started to settle into this new normal and started to really have to rely on those tools of self-love and probably new self-care tools in order to navigate Mm. this period. One thing you mentioned that I'm super interested in, because the more I'm connecting with women on the show and outside of the show, 
who are in the social media sphere, who you would think like, these must be the most extroverted women ever, right? They're showing their faces and they're so engaged and they're on their phones and they're sharing pictures. And yet so many of these women I am hearing (laughs) are actually introverts. So it's fascinating to me because I think that there's a perception that you must be incredibly extroverted. Oh yes. I mean, I get this all the time and I think I often feel as if there is a bit of a racial element to it as well in terms of not necessarily bad, but I think a lot of people assume black women to be very, I hate this word, but sassy Mm. and extroverted and loud. And yeah, growing up, I lived online because when I was in school, I was getting bullied so badly that I really retreated within myself. And so books and the internet were my gateways to just imaginary worlds and making friends online. And so I think I definitely lived a lot of my life online via means of like MySpace and, oh gosh, what else was there? Bebo and High Five and... (laughs) Facebook. And it was almost a way for me to create another persona, somebody that I wanted to be who I wasn't in real life. And the more bubbly I was online, the more it translated to real life, which was something that I didn't expect, but I'm so happy to have that transformation and that it's almost like I created this outgoing bubbly persona. And then when I would meet people in real life who I'd been speaking to online, they would expect this bubbly, you know, shouty girl. And I would almost start performing that because I felt like that's what people expected. And it definitely became a case of fake it till you make it. So now I wouldn't say I'm extroverted. I think more ambiverted now. I can sort of adapt to different situations that I'm in, but ultimately I'm very much somebody that gets their energy from being at home and being alone and just chilling. And when I talk to a lot of people or if I'm in a crowd of people and everybody's talking, I get so tired and I just retreat into a shell. Who's putting up their (laughs) hand right now as they're listening to this? Like, oh my gosh, that is me too. I completely relate to that. I have to recharge on my own, but I also, if I spent all my time alone, would not be happy. I love going out with friends, but definitely prefer smaller groups. I feel like I get lost in a large group and not lost, like the attention's not on me, but like I just sucks my energy dry. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So tell me about when this journey began for you. I mean, I feel like you almost touched on it a tiny bit with the bullying and then spending a lot of time Mm. online, but when did this desire to speak out about body positivity and to just share yourself really start to bloom for you? It started for me, I would say 2008, 2009. When I was in university, I was suffering from very, very low self-esteem, no confidence. I was diagnosed with depression. I was on the edge. I had eating disorders and I was just in such a terrible mind state. And on top of that, I was studying law And it was a subject that I didn't really want to do, but my parents gently nudged me in in that direction. (laughs) Relatable, yeah. To do law. (laughs) They just wanted to say, oh, we've got a lawyer in the family. And so um, all of this was going on and I didn't really have a creative outlet. So I started a blog at the time using LiveJournal. And that blog was really a place for me to just talk about how much I hated my degree. I hated the teachers. I hated this, 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 and this. 
And I would share it with my friends and we would comment back and forth on each other's blogs. And then I started writing a lot more about beauty and skincare. All the while, my main thing was fashion. But I was so insecure and I was so scared of posting up a picture of myself that I completely suppressed that thought. When I was 16, 17, I actually, and it's funny that years later it got made into a TV show, but I actually was a catfish. When I was 16, I created a profile using another girl's picture, this really beautiful, light-skinned, slim girl, just to chat to guys online because I had no confidence. I was being bullied for how I looked and I was so devoid of attention and support and confidence that I thought the only way somebody would like me was if I looked completely different. And so this continued in terms of like, the self-loathing, it continued up until my early 20s. I remember I had a blog on Tumblr. This was a blog where I would record my food intake. It was an exercise diary. It was a food diary. And what I noticed was as I would be scrolling on the timeline on the main page, I started seeing images of plus-size women just taking pictures of themselves in their underwear. I started seeing loads of poems. I started seeing blog posts where there will be plus size women talking about the stuff that they've gone through, outfits that they bought. And I was just like, what is this? Why am I seeing this on my timeline? What is going on? And so what I noticed was that they were all using the hashtag body positivity and fat acceptance. And I was like, why is this coming up on my feed? Like I'm trying to lose weight. So I clicked on the hashtag. And after I clicked on the hashtag, that was it. I was just opened up to this world of loads of fat women just looking amazing, wearing things I wish I could have worn, writing poetry, doing photography, highlighting their stretch marks and their cellulite. And I was just like, what is this? I can't believe it's like I discovered Atlantis or something. It was just, I'd spent my whole life hating myself and wishing that I'd look different. And all the meanwhile, underneath, there was this whole community of women who were actually celebrating how they looked and celebrating the fact that they had stretch marks and lumps and bumps and hyperpigmentation. And I wanted to be them. I wanted to be a part of that. Being able to find a community of women who looked like me, who were happy, was one of the biggest motivators for me in learning how to eventually love myself. And so from there, that's where I started on the roads like Instagram and started following the women on Tumblr on their Instagram channels. And Instagram obviously was where the main body positivity movement took off. That was it for me. When I was about 23, I went to America for, I went to New York for three months because I was tired of the UK. I was just like, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to start somewhere new. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I want to make it in New York. But I only lasted three months, so it's fine. (laughs) But I was living in Harlem and there were three or four ladies living below me. And they were all plus size and they were so unapologetic and free and confident. And they were much bigger than me, but they were like these angels. They just didn't care about what people said about them or people shouting at them on the street. And so I would speak to them uh, like three, four times a week about how did you get so confident and what can I do and all of these things. So going to New York and almost being able to forge a new identity, so to speak, was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. And I will always love New York for that because it was where I really 
in terms of like fashion wise as well, it was where I really was almost born again. Wow. I mean, your story is bringing up so much emotion for me, just imagining you, this woman who has so much talent and creativity and gifts, (laughs) disliking herself so much. And a hard reality is that there are so many women who are feeling that, who are feeling that right now, who are, you know, I hope that they listen to this interview. I know that I work with so many of them as a coach and it's really hard to understand. I mean, it's easy to understand when you look at all the facts, but it's hard to understand how we got to this point where there's just so much discomfort Mm. in showing up as we are and in being who we are. So you mentioned a couple of things that were pivotal for you. One was the aspect of seeing other women in a similar body type as you had, seeing diversity and beauty and seeing women who were living their lives. I always say, you've got to be able to see it in order to want to be it. Mm-hmm. And so you were able to see it. And then also for a moment, even cutting ties with the story of who you were in the location that you were by actually physically changing your location and going to New York. Yeah. Were there any other pivotal things that helped you to move from where you were then to where you are now? Yes. I think for me, one of the most important things that happened was when I was maybe 22, is it 22, 23? I wanted to go, so it was coming up to my birthday, either my 22nd or 23rd birthday. And I had decided I want to go to Barcelona for a week because my uncle lived out there. You know, I just wanted to spend my birthday abroad I'd never been to a beach before at that point because I'd always physically avoided them. I didn't want to be seen on the beach. I didn't feel like I had a right to be on the beach looking the way that I did. But I thought this time I really want to get like a bikini body. But in order to have the bikini body, to me, I thought I have to be slim. I have to be slim. And so four months before my birthday, I unfortunately sort of relapsed into the eating disorder again. And so started, you know, almost fasting. I was taking laxatives. I was almost bulimic again. I was undertaking basically very, very dangerous methods in order to lose the quickest amount of weight fast. And the ways in which I was doing it, it was really having a detrimental effect on my body. I just felt terrible all the time. My skin was terrible. One of my aunts who at the time was very fat phobic, She actually encouraged me to take these appetite suppressants that she'd somehow got on the black market somewhere. I don't know how she gets these. She's like, you know, you always have like a a family member that has connections to the underworld. I'm just like, she was that aunt. And I was just like, how? I didn't ask any questions. And I was just like, so she got these pills. I'm pretty sure they were illegal. I would just take them because I was so adamant that I wanted to lose weight. In the end, I ended up losing about 112 pounds and my stomach was flattish or flat enough that I thought could go on the beach. So I was in Barcelona, bought my bikini. I remember my uncle had gone out to work. So I was in his apartment and I was looking in the mirror and I looked at myself, I looked at my body and I just, from nowhere, burst out crying. I was so upset and low because I looked at myself and I thought, this isn't good enough. I should do more. My skin is sagging. I've got too much loose skin. I could nip it in here. I could tuck it in there. 
And that was the moment for me that I realized that I had been doing all of these practices to, to, to be smaller. And in turn, what I was doing, I was damaging my skin. I was hurting my body. I just felt this overwhelming sense of guilt towards my body for the way that I had been treating it. I had been feeling really ill and having stomach issues because of all of these pills and laxatives. And I just thought to myself, my poor stomach, like all it's doing is just trying to do its everyday job and I'm hurting it consistently. And I cried for my body. I almost saw my body as a separate entity that was just working away, doing what it's trying to do to keep me alive. And all I was doing was hurting it and abusing it. I realized that I wasn't doing it for me. I was doing it because I wanted people to see me and think, oh, she's attractive. She's desirable because she's slim. I was tying my worth to my weight and I was doing this for the approval of other people. And that was the moment I think that I realized that I hated myself. Mm. So when I came back to the UK, I was like, I can't continue like this anymore. I can't live for other people I cannot make myself smaller to make other people comfortable. I have to do something about this. Armed with, you know, finding out about this amazing community on Tumblr. Those were the steps that I took to begin the journey of self-love. And I started that by writing a very long letter to my body, apologizing to it instead of apologizing on behalf of it. And I think once I saw my body as a separate entity that works so hard I was like, I have to treat you with respect. I would never treat somebody else like this. Why am I doing it to you? Mm, stunning. I mean, it's so, so powerful what you're saying. I was reading on Instagram, there's an account, Jedediah Jenkins is the man's name. And he said something that just really resonated with me. So often we hear the wisdom of others or we hear the words of Stephanie right now. And it's too soon for it to land within us. You know, we're like, I want that. I want to be where she is, but I can't feel it yet until we have that moment ourselves, like Mm. in our bathing suit, crying in front of the mirror or a conversation with a friend or that low breaking point. And all of a sudden we feel it ourselves. We embody that truth ourselves. And he said, you know, sometimes sharing wisdom isn't about creating transformation in the moment. So you might be listening right now thinking like, I want to be where Stephanie is, but I just can't, I just not feeling it. I want that. And I know that's what I should be believing, but I'm not feeling it right now. And he says, it's still so important to share because when that person who's listening right now has that moment for themselves, they won't feel so alone. They'll recognize that they're coming home because they've heard the words before. They've heard the truth before from somebody like you speaking it right now. So I want to remind anybody who's listening, even if you're not there yet, keep listening, keep tuning in, keep following, keep surrounding yourself with these words, which are the truth, with these tools. And one day you will land there as well. Powerful. Very powerful. I love that. I was so taken in while you were talking. Yeah, (laughs) so true. I'm going to share the link to his post. It's not my words. It's just my interpretation of what he was saying. And it really hit home. It really hit home because... We are all on our own journey. We are all on our own path. And these moments, which are so powerful, come at different times, not necessarily when we want them to come, but when 
or truly ready. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Robbie Talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. Put up your hand if you tend to be really all or nothing when it comes to health and wellness. Like you are eating all the most nourishing foods and all the ones that everyone's told you are the most healthy. You're working out, you're meditating, you're so committed, and then boom, something happens. You go to a birthday party, you have a weekend away, some sort of hard conversation has to happen at work, and all of a sudden you've been thrown completely off track. I feel yeah. I have been there so many times and I know that inevitably this cycle that we can get into leads to major feelings of disappointment and lowered self-esteem. When we're not feeling good in our body, that really impacts all areas of our life. I created the Raw Beauty Reset, in case you didn't hear already, our 12-week program, The Shift, got a rename. It's now called The Raw Beauty Reset. And this 12-week program was designed to help you really improve and find a healthier relationship with food and your body. We go through four main pillars, nourishment. You'll learn how to eat intuitively and in a way that feels balanced and incredibly nourishing for your body. Movement, learn how to create a sustainable workout plan that actually feels enjoyable to do. Mindset, you'll learn how to be more mindful, how to feel more calm and confident in who you are and then self-love, which is the constant act of knowing yourself and honoring who you are. To celebrate this refresh of our name, I'm now offering the Raw Beauty Reset 
for only three payments of $99. We have never done this before. It is only available until September 1st. So if you're finishing this summer off feeling like, again, you missed out on things because you just didn't feel comfortable in your body or that you were eating all the things during the summer and you're just not feeling your best, this program is for you. 12 weeks. I want you to click the link in our profile to make sure that you get this offer while it lasts. We have the most incredible group of women going through the program right now. And I know I would love to have the opportunity to be your personal health coach for the next three months so that you wrap up 2020 feeling your absolute best from the inside out. Click the link in our profile right now to learn all about the Raw Beauty Reset. And of course, you can always send me a DM over on Instagram at Raw Beauty Talks if you have any questions at all. So listening to all of this, I'm curious because, you know, hearing your story, there are so many parallels to my own story, yet we're two women who live in very different bodies. I'm a white, thin woman. And... I struggled with an eating disorder and binge eating disorder and anorexia and was hospitalized and hated my thighs and all of the things. And so it's interesting that first of all, you saying, you know, I lost the weight and I still wasn't happy. I lost the weight and I still wasn't happy. And so I have thought a lot about my own ability to have a voice in this conversation. Like, do I get to as like a white, thin, privileged woman even talk about this stuff because I have it so easy compared to others. Yet I also know my internal struggle was very real. Mm -hmm. And I think where I've landed is more along the lines that even as a thin white woman, I struggled so much with this and that at the end of the day, our weight will never be perfect enough the way that we look will never be perfect enough to meet the beauty ideals that are laid out for us. Like there will never be that moment unless we work on building it within where we feel good enough because that is the job of diet culture. That is the billion dollar beauty market is to ensure that we don't feel good enough. What are your thoughts? Like honest thoughts sitting here looking at me, having this conversation. I am like, that annoying white girl who has body image issues. Like, what do you think? Tell me, I would love to have this conversation. So I think, and it's probably a big reason why I have almost distanced myself from the body positive movement is because I feel like there are different pillars of the movement. So you have the radical body positivity movement, and then you've got those who are a bit more lax, a bit more on the body neutrality side. And one thing that I've noticed within the radical body positivity movement is that they say there's a degree of ownership over the movement, which I understand and I'll I'll get to in a second. But I've always said it is so important that regardless of your weight, shape, race, sexuality, whatever the case may be, everybody is going to have their own internal issues with how they look because that's how we're programmed. We're human beings and Unfortunately, comparison is the thief of joy. We compare ourselves to what society is throwing at us. And I ultimately think it's very unfair to tell you as somebody who perhaps lives in a privileged body that your feelings don't exist because of how you look. I think that is a terrible way to go about that conversation. Just because somebody is slim or white or exists in a privileged body or an abled body, 
it doesn't mean that they don't have their own issues with body image. It doesn't mean that they aren't starving themselves or they don't think that they are pretty enough or desirable enough. Now, on the other hand, when it comes to the specific body positive movement, that's where things get a bit more murkier, only because the body positive movement that was reignited around 2009 to now, that specific movement was initiated by plus size black women. We had little to no representation within the media, marketing, fashion, beauty, And this was the movement that predominantly started on Tumblr. So for the most part, it was black women, it was women of colour, and it was larger plus size women and disabled women. And so the body positive movement was the hashtag that we were all using to create this safe space. And so around 2013, 2014, the movement started to become a lot more prominent We saw that brands and companies were coming onto the body positive train because they were seeing how popular it became on social media. And that's when we started seeing a lot more plus size models modeling for brands and underwear brands and things. By plus size, I guess the brands and society would consider plus size to be maybe like a US size 10 to 12, which is curvy. It's not slim, but it's not like a size 18, 20, 22. And so we started seeing models like Isra Lawrence and Ashley Graham becoming the faces of body positivity. And one thing that a lot of us in the movement noticed was that the movement was being almost taken over by slimmer, white, very, very beautiful women. And we were being marginalized and pushed out of a community that we created for bodies that don't have the privilege. So that's the reason why there is a huge kind of backlash at the moment from larger plus size women to do with the body positive community, because now it's almost become a bit of a free for all as if sort of anybody can get involved in the movement, which we're not saying you can't, but I think when you live in a privileged body, you can love yourself loudly. You can love yourself anywhere. You can create your own movements but to kind of infiltrate on a specific movement that was created with a specific purpose for a part of society that is being treated really horribly. I think that's where there was a bit of turmoil because it's like... Which makes so much sense. Yeah, definitely. And so that's why I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm a part of the community anymore, just because I feel like I don't belong in it anymore. It's kind of been taken over by slimmer women and women that when we say privileged bodies what I mean by that is privileged at a societal level so not privileged as in you are slim so you must feel good about yourself it has nothing to do with how you feel about your body it's to do with how others see you in your body so if you can go out on the street and not have people stare at you or not have people take pictures of you while you're eating or you can go into any shop and buy clothes you can be treated really well when you go and see your doctor. All of these things that I think slimmer people take for granted, when you're plus size, unfortunately, there are a lot of microaggressions and fat phobic microaggressions that come with just living life. Everything from people not wanting to sit next to you on public transport, not having the representation that we need and deserve on TV. And anytime we do have representation, we are always seen as the unlucky in love best friend or the stupid one or the Mm. funny one no character arc bumbling a bit of a fool and it almost feels like 
fat shaming and fat policing is like the last accepted form of of a hate crime because people don't find it seriously wrong to beat people up or hurt people or police people's bodies because they naturally assume that we brought it on ourselves so therefore you are worthy of all of this hate and so the movement was a way for us to reclaim our joy and it was meant for a safe space for us to celebrate Mm. ourselves and it seems like now the movement has created a whole new standard of beauty so in order to be a part of the body positive movement normally you would need to be white or white passing with high cheekbones and very pretty big bum big thighs but flat stomach and big boobs and anybody that isn't part of that you're not mentioned, you're not seen, you're not represented, you're not highlighted. And so while everybody should have spaces where they should be able to love themselves and talk about their flaws, I think if you live in a privileged body, it's easy for you to do that anywhere. Like everywhere basically is a safe space for you because you're not subject to the kinds of cruelty that fat people are. So yeah, I think as long as you're able to I guess, uplift plus size women and larger black women and women of color without centering yourself Mm. in a movement, then I think it's okay to be a part of the movement and talk about the stuff that you've had to go through. But it's just when people center themselves in it, that that's when it gets a bit murky. I'm so grateful that you shared that and took the time to share your perspective on it because this is so important. I mean, I started Raw Beauty Talks in 2014. I've never had a Tumblr account. So from my viewpoint and privileged perspective, knowing this is the struggle that I've had with my own self-worth and my own body image. So I want to interview other women, showcase them without makeup or photo editing or filters and celebrate Raw Beauty and talk to them about their experiences with self-esteem. And you know, at this exact same time as you're saying, body positivity started to become a thing. So you start using the hashtags because you've got women with all different types of bodies, but without knowing exactly what you were doing or Mm. taking your white privileged body and sort of stepping over as we did this and having the privilege to not even know. But when you think about you as a young girl on these accounts and all of a sudden stumbling into this world of body positivity and seeing women like you and how powerful that was for you today, if the same situation was to happen, you wouldn't find those same pictures when you Googled it, you'd find some of them, but you'd also see women like me and Mick Sazon and Sarah Nicole Landry talking about it Mm. and participating in it. So it wouldn't be the same experience anymore, which is definitely something to consider. You say now that you associate yourself more with the world of fat acceptance Can you just share a little bit about that and that world and your work in it? Yeah, sure. So the fat acceptance movement is basically a movement where all of the fat women kind of migrated (laughs) over. They were like, see ya. Yeah, we literally (laughs) were like, okay, bye. And we kind of just formed under the fat acceptance movement simply because we know that there is still such a huge issue with the word fat that we knew that this was a movement that would not likely be uh, commodified or colonized or taken over anytime soon because people still had issues with being called fat or being related to the word fat. So this is our space where we can just be as radical as we want and just, yeah, just celebrate ourselves. And I think when you hear the word fat acceptance, 
some of the first thoughts that come to mind for some people is, oh, they're glorifying obesity or they're promoting obesity. And we have to keep on saying it's not us promoting obesity. It's literally just saying if you are fat, you don't have to hate yourself. You don't have to wear what society tells you to wear. You don't have to think how society tells you to think. You are worthy of love and respect and basic human decency. The world doesn't end because you are over a size 20. The ideology that we're trying to promote is all about being accepted and being loved and being worthy of being on this earth, regardless of how you look. And so, yeah, with that movement, it's mostly just a lot of fat women posing in our bikinis a lot of the time and underwear. And I think the main thing with that movement as well is we're trying to normalize bigger bodies. So whether it's normalizing bigger bodies in bikinis, advertising underwear, in wearing clothing and being on TV and music videos and movies and all of these things, like it's just, we just want to normalize seeing bigger bodies in places where you would normally only see smaller bodies. I think it needs to be normalized that you can have rolls and stretch marks and hyperpigmentation and still be able to sell a pair of underwear. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's quite a nice, sunny place to be. (laughs) So I'm always trying to advocate for normalizing things that normally people would assume that fat people don't have access to. Yes. It's so powerful. And I'm so glad that, I mean, glad isn't the right word. It's more grateful that you have found some sense of your self-worth and that you are therefore able to spill unto others because there are so many women who feel like I cannot start living life until I have lost the weight. I will never be loved. I will never have friends. I can never do the career that I want or wear the clothes that I want in this specific body. And the reality is that the more that we live from that space, like that is a much more unhealthy space to live when our mind is so sick with those beliefs and when our life feels so contained simply by the size of our body versus really starting to live and let ourselves be fully expressed and find joy and love and friendships and community and all these things that we crave so deeply as human beings. Do you ever have days where you struggle with your confidence? Yes. Do you know what's funny that I'm in therapy? So I've been going to therapy for six or seven months now. And honestly, it's been the absolute best thing to happen to me because I'm finding out so much about myself. And what I've noticed is that when I have periods of low confidence, and this is very, very annoying, but it's (laughs) always, always, always to do with men. Uh, Yes. And what I found is that I feel like my confidence sometimes is tied to my desirability because for the longest time, I guess in my case, when it comes to things such as dating and relationships, I am not that experienced at all. So I've only ever had one boyfriend and outside of that, I've never dated. I've never caught the attention of anybody. And so growing up, I felt like I desperately needed to, I really wanted to be found attractive because I felt like that would be validating for me. And I remember when I was in school and I, because I hadn't told anybody that I was being bullied and I was being bullied by a bunch of five boys. And so 
they were the ones that were, it was more physical bullying. So I was getting beaten up and I had like acid thrown on me and all of these really horrible things that happened at school. And so I remember after about three years, I finally got the courage to tell my dad that I was being bullied. And I remember like, as if this happened yesterday, he said, well, if you weren't so fat that you wouldn't be bullied. And it was that rejection that I got from my dad because I'm the firstborn. So when we were very close when we were younger and what I noticed with my dad was that the bigger I got in size, the more distant he became. And it was that rejection from him that made me feel like, oh my gosh, I need to have affirmation from men in order to feel validated. And that's something that I'm still working on till this day. Because I feel like with my confidence, like I feel great in every aspect of my life. But when it comes to men, I think because I'm so used to just being either a fetish or being rejected, it really makes me feel like, oh, okay, so I guess I'm not going to have a family or I'm not going to be in a relationship and I'll probably never have kids. And so I start to go down that line of thinking and it makes me incredibly depressed. And so I'm really trying to work on not having my value tied to what men think of me, which sometimes is a bit hard. And sometimes I think it is hard for people who have kind of gone their whole lives feeling very undesirable and not sexy and not pretty. Sometimes you kind of want the intimacy that you see other people getting and having. And so it's difficult sometimes to always be upbeat and happy because you think, oh, wow, so men really find me ugly and unattractive. And I have to really work to get out of that frame of mind. But it's something that I'm working with my therapist on. And hopefully I'll get to a point where I don't care what they think. But I think because I'm so full in all aspects of my life, I'm so full and happy, but that the men bit is like the one last bit that I've never been able to conquer. And I think that's something that is probably like annoying me. It's like the one rare Pokemon card that I can't find. <laughs> like, oh, so Don't we all have that like one thing, right? That I think it's so validating and important to recognize that we're all still working on things and thank God for therapy Mm. and the gift that it is and how we can start to kind of look and understand our patterns and our thought beliefs. Because I mean, I'm not a man, so this isn't going to count for as much, but like you are a gift and a joy and so beautiful and so warm and welcoming and nurturing and caring. And like, there are so many men out there who would just be so lucky to have you. And so this lens, this pair of glasses, this belief that you, you know, was planted within you when you were so little and so impressionable that you're carrying around with, I can't wait until you trade out those glasses for a new pair. And so that you can really sink into how the world sees you and then really start to attract that in because that is the truth but it's all part of a journey. We all have our thing that we're working on. And that is so important for everyone to know. We all have it. Yeah, that's so Even true. Stephanie Yaboa has a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's true. I think sometimes when you have a platform and you become proficient in talking about something that you have expertise in, so whether it's 
body positivity or body neutrality, confidence, self-esteem, whatever the case may be. I think sometimes people look at that and they look at the images that you share to social media and they think, oh, she's very confident. You know, she's showing her pigmentation or she's showing her stretch marks. She must never be like, never suffer from low self-esteem. But the truth is we are all works in progress. There is always going to be something in the back of our heads that annoys us or something that we want to work on because we're human at the end of the day. And the journey to self-love is not linear. It's a constant, it's a lifelong commitment. We don't just, you know, reach the top of confidence and be like, okay, that's it. I'm confident (laughs) now. I have nothing to worry about. This is a lifelong commitment where you're working on yourself until the day you die. It's not something that just stays. It doesn't, you know, it plateaus and then you have to do the work to maintain it. But it's so worth it. It's like the kind of work where it's getting better as you're doing it. Oh yeah. It is a bit of that, like peeling the onion and you're like, oh shit, another thing. But (laughs) it's like getting better and better in life. You're getting closer to your true essence and who you are, the more that you do it. Exactly. So Stephanie, if you were to close your eyes right now for a second and picture yourself Mm -hmm. 10 years from now and you're living in a space that feels really good, not like a physical space, but what is going on in your life? What is something that you're striving for in this next chapter? So my number one main thing, so I come from a very big family, a small immediate family, but a huge extended family. And so kids have always been a huge part of my life and I know this doesn't sound as feminist, but I've always just wanted to be a mum and, you know, just a wife and a mum. And I'm a bit of a traditionalist at heart. And I think it's mostly because of my West African background. They're very traditional. They're very like, you know, we settle down and all that kind of stuff. But having children is like my number one goal in life. I love kids so much. Can't wait to be a mum. And teach the child like all these things that I wasn't taught and give it the love and affection that I didn't have growing up I think that's what I'm looking forward to the most and yeah probably being married and maybe having a couple of books under my belt and I would love to do like a fashion line as well or a fashion collection and just happy I think happiness has been so elusive to me I've never really been able to claim it because I'm so scared of happiness being fleeting. I'm so used to kind of being happy one moment and then there's a catch or something bad happens. So I'm constantly on edge. And so I would like to be in a place where I'm just stable and happy and thriving. And I just want having people around me in a support system. So nothing too big, nothing too much. Just kids and a husband, you know? (laughs) Simple, simple things, no big deal. I have no (laughs) doubt that you will create all of that because you truly are a force. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to get down, to sit down and have this conversation with you and for you to share so openly. And I will be following behind the scenes and in your comments and cheering you on and continuing to remind you to keep going for that dream that you've got as you continue to remind so many others to go for their own. Last thing, you have written a book. So you said you wanted multiple books on the shelf, but you have one book that is, is it out now? Is it available? Yes, it's out on the 3rd of September. 
I think in the States it's coming out on the 1st of September. So you guys are getting it two days earlier than Europe, which is so cool. I actually think I was supposed to come to the States to kind of do a tour, but COVID has ruined, uh, thwarted my plan. So unfortunately I won't be able to come over, but yeah. So that book is called Fatally Ever After, a title that I'm very proud of. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Thank you. And it's just basically my love letter to plus size black women. It talks about the history of the body positive community. And it's primarily about how plus size women and plus size black women navigate society when you exist within these intersections. So I talk about everything from dating to cultural conversations, how we're portrayed on TV. What else? Gosh, top of what's top of the head mental health, physical health. And then I also have a whole chapter dedicated to Lizzo and what she's done for the community and how amazing she's been. I really hope people like it when it comes out. Everyone is going to love it. I cannot wait to share it with our community. I cannot wait for our community to support you in this work that we're doing to continue to learn and evolve and change and challenge our own beliefs and narratives. In the meantime, before everyone gets badly ever after, where can they follow along and where can they find more of you? You can find me on my website, which is stephanieyaboa.com. And then on Twitter and Instagram, I am at stephanieyaboa. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And to everybody who is listening, if you found that there was insight in this episode or sparks of inspiration, please take a moment to share it with a friend or somebody that you believe would benefit from this to help us spread Stephanie's important message. I will see all of you next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com listen or on your favorite podcast platform.